I uh, have become obsessed with this idea that there really is something quite poetic about our brokenness. That as we move past the mess that we've made of our lives, as we begin to slowly heal and to move forward, that there is this strength and beauty that begins to emerge inside of us, creating what I call a broken reality of hope. But sometimes there are things that hold us back, hold us back from moving forward out of our past where we feels like we can't break free. There was a period of time in my own life where I walked away from my relationship with God and for several years and I did a whole lot of things that I am not proud of. And when I finally, like the prodigal son, came back to God, I didn't feel like I was worthy of His grace or anyone else's for that matter. I was ashamed of my past and that shame became a barrier to my future. But here's the truth that many of us need to hear. My past does not have to define my future. What I've done, those things that I've done in my past are not who I am. They're just what I've done. And you have a choice. You, you can either allow the crimes of your past to control who you will become. Or you can overcome your past by revisioning your life as something that can bring hope and beauty into your future. Well, good morning, y'all. As uh, Danielle said, we are starting a new series this morning entitled Revision, because uh, as we start this new year, that's exactly what a lot of us need to be able to revision our lives and get a new perspective for what's possible, to redefine what our lives are going to be about moving forward, because the truth is, Years, they just seem to roll by. And without even knowing it, 5, 10, even 20 years pass. And nothing has changed. And so unless we do something radically different in 2019, in January of 2020, everything's going to be exactly the same. I think that all of us have regrets in our lives, moments in time that we'd like to have back, and we'd love to be able to have a redo, right? I was uh, reading about a guy recently named Ron Wayne. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Ron Wayne. Um, on April 1st, 1976, Ron Wayne sat down at his typewriter and he drew up an agreement outlying each man's responsibility for the new company that they were forming. And the agreement was signed by Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs, 
and Ron Wayne. And Ron Wayne was indeed a founder of Apple and at the time had a 10% stake in the company. There was just one problem. Both Steve Jobs and Wozniak were younger than Ron and they were both broke. And Steve Jobs had just taken out a $15,000 loan to buy supplies to fulfill Apple's first contract. Ron Wayne, being a bit older, a little more conservative, had a few assets, including a house, and he feared that if the company went south, that he'd be left holding the bag and that liability would fall on him. And so not wanting to take the risk, he makes the fateful decision to sell back his 10% stake of Apple to the other two co-founders for a whopping $800. Today, that 10% stake would be worth more than $80 billion. You think he wants that moment back? (laughs) Redo, please. Well, we uh, we all have regrets, and we would love to be able to go back in time and relive some of the moments in our lives so that we could redo some of the ill-fated decisions that we have made at some point, or in my case, in many points in our lives, uh, decisions that we, we look back and we go, what the heck was I thinking? Right? I obviously wasn't. There are many kinds of failures and hurt from our past that continue to haunt us. Some of us have been hurt by somebody. Somebody did something to us that affected us so deeply. It hurt us to our core, and it just seems like we cannot shake it or get past it. Some of us have made some bad decisions in the past, and we're still paying for them, the sins of our past, so to speak. And while they may have happened years ago, the effects of that mistake still lingers today. Others of us have had some failure in our past where we have this aching sense of disappointment or regret, and we just can't let go of it. We said something, we did somebody something to somebody, and we we can't take that back. And all of those things have one thing in common. They all keep us trapped in the shame of our past. And whatever it is for you, we've all done things in our past that we wish that we could forget ever happened. And the question is, how do we get freed up from the death grip that the skeletons of our past seem to have on us to free ourselves up out of the past so that we can move forward? So there's a few things that I think that if we do them, and I'm not going to say that there's some easy one, two, three formula, and I'm not going to say there's like three easy steps or any of that, because what we're talking about today is heavy stuff and very difficult to do. But if we can do them, it will have a profound effect on us and free us up and help us to live differently. And the first one is probably the the most base one, the most foundational one is we got to figure out how to move past our shame. Like, that's really 
really difficult for a lot of us to do. Nothing stops healing or paralyzes our growth like shame. Because shame creates this chronic sense of unworthiness and inferiority that can result in us feeling disconnected from life and love and intimacy and God. And we become almost like the walking dead because the shame has put a driven like a hole in our soul. And the key to sustainable change is to be able to somehow break the cycle of shame. Which again is very difficult to do. But if we can do that, we can then move forward down the path of healing and create a new path. You see, when you, when you can break free of it, you're able to visualize a new way of life for the first time and change your beliefs about who you really are at your core and who you can become. King David from the Old Testament had a huge moral failure in his life, a.k.a. he screwed up pretty good. And after he came to grips with it, he wrote these words. My guilt has overwhelmed me. It's overwhelmed me like a burden that is too heavy to bear. See, I would argue that he was not only struggling with guilt, but he was struggling with shame. You see, when, when guilt, guilt in and of itself is not a bad thing. But the difference between guilt and shame is that guilt tells you when you've done something wrong, which is good so that we don't do that again. There's a good, healthy guilt that we get. Shame, on the other hand, tells you that you are that something that is wrong. The, the key to moving past our shame is understanding that What is in my future is greater than what has been in my past. And while it's not easy, we have to figure out how we can bust through that. What I've done is not who I am. The greatest example of this, I think, is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. It's a famous story about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And... She was brought to Jesus by a group of Pharisees. And Pharisees are these supposed religious leaders at the time who had, in my estimation, become a group of haters and judges and power mongers. And in verse 3, it just makes this point of saying, they made her stand before the group. This woman who was caught in adultery was made to stand in front of all of these men who were full of judgment and condemnation. I imagine that they were standing out in the middle of a field and they surrounded her and they sneered at her. I can't even imagine the shame that this woman must have felt as she stood there with her head down with these religious leaders accusing and judging her. The custom in that day was that if you were caught in adultery, the punishment would be that you would be stoned to death. And these men were using her as a tool to force Jesus into saying, yeah, she should be condemned to die, and they kept pushing him. 
and pushing it. Until finally, Jesus just stands up and he looks him in the eye and says, Look, whoever among you is without sin, you go ahead and you throw the first stone at her. I imagine you could hear a pin drop. At this, it says, those who heard Jesus' words began to slowly drop their stones and walk away one at a time. And I love this phrase, the older ones first. Why do you think the older ones first? I think it's because we've been through a bit more in our lives. We're not naive in terms of the scars and the hurt of life. And we've been through so much that we have this very clear understanding that ain't nobody any better than anybody else. And the hope is that as we grow older, we get a little more wisdom under our belt. The next verse says that after the last person had walked away, only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And I imagine that she's still standing there with her head down and maybe doesn't even know that everybody's walked away. And I love this image because I think that one of the keys to overcoming shame is to be able to grasp the idea that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. At the end of the day, it's just you and Jesus. Ain't nobody else's opinion or post or judgment matters. When all the haters and the judges fade away, it's just you and him. And he asks her, where are they? I imagine for the first time she looks up and she realizes that nobody's there. He says, has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the greatest lesson of overcoming shame that I have ever seen. This woman is standing, I don't, I don't think I can emphasize enough, the moment of some of the deepest shame you could ever imagine, staying, standing in front of these men, being condemned and judged and degraded by all these supposed religious leaders who were all like ready to pounce on her. How do you get past that? How do you get past the public shame of that? Jesus totally has her back. And he just speaks up for the one who couldn't defend herself. And he says, uh, I'm sorry, which one of you lives a perfect life? Because please, by all means, step forward. You see, when you're finally faced with your own sin, you suddenly realize, I have no room to judge anybody because you see, I got this big old plank sticking out of my own eye. Let 
We've all been through the crap of life. Some of us are better than sweeping it under the carpet than others. We've all been through our stuff. And none of us have any room to judge. And as the last one drops his stone, Jesus says to her, has no one condemned you? All day long, you'll be judged in the court of public opinion. All day long, you'll be judged by your peers. You're only as good as your last time that somebody liked you. But there's this moment where it's just you and Jesus. And he lifts up your head and he says, has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and live differently. The Apostle Paul, whose past gave him plenty of reason to feel shame, put it this way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow and guilt bring death. And I think what he's saying here is that if I have the shame of my past hovering over me without God, I have no hope of getting past it because I will be crucified in the court of public opinion. I'll be forced to tread water in an ocean full of shame for the rest of my life. But when it gets down to just you and Jesus, it's different. Because then in that moment, you find forgiveness and hope and renewal and redos. And in that moment, you find the God of second chances. The God who will get your back and lift your head. 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and completely erase all of our wrongdoing. The important thing about this passage is there's this moment of authenticity, this come to Jesus moment, right? Where we confess our sins, where we own our stuff, where we take responsibility for the things that we've done. And when we do that, Jesus will forgive us and completely erase all of our wrongdoings as if it never happened. Our greatest sins and biggest failures are not too big for God's grace. Is it possible that you can imagine yourself and whatever it is that you think in your head is your biggest regret, can you imagine yourself standing in that field, surrounded by people who are judging and condemning? And when you close your eyes, you see that there's only one really standing there by your side. And he asks, who's condemning you? Not I. The second thing I think that is really important is to accept my past as being part of who I am. So I'm making a distinction here where I am not defined by the things that I've done But because of the things that I've done and my past, it creates a foundation for me to move forward in my life as a different person. We have to understand that our past is what makes up our story. It's it's in our DNA, 
right? Your past is what makes you uniquely you, your experiences, the things that you've done, the things that you've gone through. And no matter what we've done or been through in our past, our past is part of who we are, and we have a choice to either embrace it and own it, or spend the rest of our lives trying to run from it like we run from our own shadow and never shake it. And the way that we do this, and I'm saying this almost flippantly because it's a lot harder than it sounds, is that we've got to figure out a way to come to peace with it and accept that my past has helped to make me who I am today, for better or for worse. I have to tell you, I've been through some serious stuff in my life. And it's stuff that I wouldn't wish on my own worst enemy. But having gone through it, has given me a strength and maturity and perspective that I wouldn't otherwise have. It wasn't fun. I don't ever want to go through it again. But I am grateful for having gone through it and coming out the other side much stronger than I could have ever imagined. Because before my time of brokenness, really, I don't think y'all would have liked me very much. I was pretty much an arrogant jerk, best I can remember. To accept our past means that we understand all the junk that we've been through has helped to make us who we are today. And sometimes it takes us to become broken to make us new into the people that God wants us to become. We take the good that comes out of the bad of our past and we grab hold of that and we move forward and learn how to live differently, how to be a different person. Which brings me to the last thing, which is that we just need to revision our future. In order to revision our future, I believe that we have to disrupt ourselves. The word disruption means to interrupt or to throw something into a state of disorder in an effort to prevent normal or expected functioning. And in this case, we're talking about your life. And we want you to disrupt you in an effort to prevent you from normal or expected functioning. In other words, stop doing the same thing over and over again. Stop going through the motions of how you've always done things and learn a new path. I mean, come on. We all get complacent. Every single one of us. I know I do. And we do our thing, the same thing, over and over, day in and day out. We check our emails or Facebook. We get a few things done. And, you know, we just figure out ways just to bide our time. We're checked out and we mindlessly go through our days, which, by the way, become years. And before long, we look up from behind the wheel and we go, how did I get here? We have to be willing to have the courage to disrupt ourselves and try on something new. The more we disrupt ourselves, the more we redefine ourselves, the more distance we put between our old life, the more authentic change will occur. You see, Jesus didn't just 
Jesus didn't just say, neither do I condemn you. He went on to say, go now and live differently. Create a new future. You're better than that. Move brilliantly into the future. Creating a new reality is a commitment to learn from the past and to move forward in a new way of life. It causes us to begin to see ourselves differently and have great clarity about what it is that's driving us forward because our past drives change for our future because we don't want to go back there. I don't want to live my life in the rearview mirror anymore. It's only when we remember where we came from and how dark was the darkness that we were in, how lost we were, It's only when we remember just how messed up we really were that we can fully grasp how radical is the love of God, how big is His grace, and become so overwhelmed with gratitude that we don't want to go back. We want to live differently. I am convinced that life is made up of 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to the 10% and move on with the rest of our lives. The Bible says that God wants to do a new thing in you, that from the ashes of your past, He wants to create something beautiful. I love that idea. I can tell you that for me, one of the biggest issues from my past was to get through my divorce. I was uh, in a toxic marriage there where we did a good job of hurting each other and we went through a really bad divorce. And I had a lot of shame about that. And when I went through that, I, I thought, you know, I will never have the kind of relationship that I have dreamt about. I'll never be able to do church or ministry again because I was so full of shame. I was holding on so tightly to my past that I wasn't allowing God to do his thing. And it wasn't until I was finally able to bust through the shame, and it took a lot of work, to bust through that shame and and to finally allow God to show up in me. And I have to tell you that from the ashes of my past, of the things that I've done that I'm not proud of, I believe God's created something beautiful. I believe he's blessed me in ways that go beyond what I could dream of and my life is beyond what I could ever imagine. And doggone it, I'm just not as big of a jerk anymore. Now, I can lift my head up and I can talk about my past. I can own it. And no, I don't want to go back there. Because I have a God of second chances. You don't have to let your past poison your future. The Bible says that after our lives have blown up, we do a good job about it, and the dust settles from the ashes of all of the mess that we've created. That from the shame of our past, that God will create something beautiful in us. 
And he uses those times of brokenness to mold us and to make us into something new, something different. Can we find the strength and the courage to disrupt the daily grind and really take on wanting to live differently? Can we imagine that moment of regret that we have where our head is held low and we're standing there in the middle of a field feeling the judgment and condemnation of everybody around us and all of a sudden we close our eyes and we hear those words. Look. Look up. Is no one here to condemn you? God lifts your head look around and you see it's just you and Jesus. And in that moment he says, neither do I condemn you. You're better than that. Now go forward. Your future is going to be awesome. Live differently. Live brilliantly. Live brilliantly.